Now we have an opportunity to turn to God's holy word. This afternoon, or this morning rather, we'll read from Luke chapter 7. Our text will be verses 36 to 50. But for for context, I wish to read uh, Luke 7, uh, starting at verse 11. Luke 7, starting at verse 11. Hear God's word. Now it happened the day after that, he, that's Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. Pardon me, verse 15. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about, about him went through it all Judea and all the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet... This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he is a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
but wisdom is justified by all her children. And here begins our text. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, If this man, if he were a a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Now we have the privilege of being able to hear the proclamation of God's word. But before we do so, let's pray for the Holy Spirit's blessing on us. Let's pray. Dear God, our gracious and holy Father, we are so thankful that in your mercy you have enabled us to gather here together to worship your holy name. And now we ask that you will give us a particular presence of your Holy Spirit, that he would work in our hearts, cleanse our minds, and enable us to behold wondrous things out of your law. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this sermon is entitled Needing and Receiving Forgiveness. Well, in our text, we see the importance of hospitality. Being invited to people's homes, sharing meals, and fellowship builds relationships, it builds communities, and is important in building churches. And in the time of Jesus Christ and his ministry on earth, hospitality was at least as important then as it was now. Not only did it build up relationships, but in some cases it provided security and safety for travelers. And during his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus was invited to different people's homes on several occasions. For example, in 
Luke 4, verses 38 to 39, we read that Jesus went to Simon Peter's house. And in chapter 5, verse 29, that Jesus ate in the home of Matthew, the tax collector, who would become an apostle. Well, here in our text, in Luke 7, we read that Jesus was invited into the home of someone who was on the opposite end of the social spectrum uh, compared to a tax collector like Matthew. Jesus was invited into the home of a Pharisee to eat a meal. Now, the Pharisees were a group of particularly devout followers of Judaism during the time of Christ. Uh, They had been established centuries earlier as a group which held very fast to the Mosaic law. And over time, they added many extra requirements to God's law and became legalistic, suggesting that through rigid personal obedience to these Jewish laws, people may attain in their own strength a right relationship with God and thereby attain eternal life for themselves. They were exceedingly critical of Jesus Christ, who often ministered to people whom the Pharisees saw as unworthy sinners. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus declares this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And the Pharisees had become, you see, warped in their understanding of God's word. And in scripture, they are presented as the primary opponents of Jesus Christ. And it was to such a Pharisee's home that Jesus was invited for a meal. Now, in the time of Christ, such meals were not private affairs. People could come in and watch went on and even take part in the conversations, even though they hadn't been particularly invited for supper. A commentator, Norval Geldenhuis, says, it is customary in the East for persons to enter the dining room uninvited, to seat themselves all around against the walls, and to converse with those at table. Now, it's, I think it's difficult for us to relate to such a practice here in 21st century United States of America. Imagine that you had a couple of families over for supper, and a number of nearby neighbors heard about the occasion and decide to enter your home, sit behind you, and enjoy listening to and taking part in your stimulating conversation. Yet, this is what it was like in the time of Christ, And this is the setting that Luke records for us here in Luke chapter 7. And in in this setting of hospitality, we're given a window into an amazing encounter, which includes three primary characters, Jesus Christ, Simon the Pharisee, and an unnamed woman who made her way into this home, having heard that Jesus was dining there. And what follows is an interaction between these three individuals, which opens up the vital topic of forgiveness. 
and specifically a recognition for the need for forgiveness, a failure to recognize the need for forgiveness, and then receiving forgiveness. And may the Lord bless us together this morning as we look at needing and receiving forgiveness from Luke's gospel. And first then, we see recognizing the need for forgiveness. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus was invited to eat a meal by a Pharisee named Simon. And while such mealtimes were events that could be observed, something that the Pharisee did not expect is recorded for us in verse 37, where we read this. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. To the surprise of all, and especially the Pharisee, no doubt, a woman who was a known sinner in the city entered his home. Luke describes this woman as a woman in the city who was a sinner. And this woman was a sinner, likely a prostitute. As the grammar indicates, her sin had occurred for a long, continuous time in the past. Over and over, repeatedly. This woman had likely been a prostitute then for some period of time in the city, a fact which caused the Pharisee, as suggested in verse 39, to believe that Jesus should not allow such a one to even touch him. She was considered an immoral woman. She was a sinner. And not one who had any place in a home of such a righteous person as this Pharisee was held up to being in the minds of most people. Well, that this woman was a sinner was known by the three key participants in this interaction. The Pharisee who invited Jesus to dine with him recognized that this woman was a sinner. We read in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, that's Jesus, saw this, he spoke to himself saying, If this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. As mentioned previously, the Pharisee, though keeping his thoughts to himself, identified this woman as a sinner. His loathing of this woman is evident as his thoughts are recorded for us. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. And clearly then, this Pharisee would not have allowed her to touch him. In his mind, she is a sinner. But that's not exactly how Luke, the author, describes her. You see, Simon, the Pharisee, saw her as one who was currently given over to wicked sin, one who lived a dark and sinful life. Now, in many respects, we can understand his thinking. Prostitution is a deplorable sin. It is wicked. And scripture warns about the evil nature of sexual sins, sins which this woman once lived in. Yet, in verse 37, 
Luke describes her in a very important way that was different than how Simon saw her. Luke writes, and she was a sinner. Luke introduces this woman by declaring that she used to be one who lived in sin. She was a sinner. That is, one who once lived in her sin, but is no longer doing so. And he will go on to explain in this narrative that a great change had happened to this woman. A change initiated by Jesus Christ, her Savior. And it was not just the Pharisee who knew that this woman was a sinner. The woman herself knew that she was a sinner. One of the interesting things about this narrative is that there is no recording of the woman speaking in this incident. We do not hear the specific story of her life. We cannot be sure as to the specific nature of her sins. And we do not know how she heard that Jesus was in the house. Furthermore, we do not even know how she heard about Jesus at all. Perhaps she heard him preach a sermon and was converted. By this time, Jesus had preached often and had performed many miracles. That's one of the reasons I read from Luke 11 up to our text, because it narrates many of the things, examples of what Jesus had done, preaching and performing miracles, healing, that sort of thing. Earlier in verse 7, we can read that Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion, He then raised the son of a widow in Nain that we read about. And many heard him preach in Galilee, the very place where our text occurs. And so it is certain that at some point, this woman encountered Jesus Christ, either personally or by listening to his preaching. And through the ministry of Jesus Christ, this woman had learned something vitally important about herself. She learned that she was a sinner, and she recognized that she needed forgiveness. She did not know merely this in a surface sense like so many today. If you ask anyone today, are you perfect? Almost no one would admit that they're perfect. They would never state that. Everyone says, oh, I, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. They would add then, oh, but nobody's perfect, you see. I'm no different than anyone else. And so often people then have a light view of their sin. But not so for this woman. Through the ministry of Jesus Christ, she was given a deep and profound understanding of herself as a sinner. And Jesus' words penetrated her heart and revealed to her who she really was. And we read the impact of God's word in Hebrews 4, verses 12 to 13. For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But 
all things are, are, are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's the word that this woman encountered. She knew that she was a sinner. God's word had opened her understanding to her own great need. And she recognized that she needed forgiveness. And we know that she recognized her need for forgiveness because her actions spoke as loud or louder than any words. We recall that oftentimes people would come and listen to conversations during mealtimes like this. Yet this woman knew that she was not welcome in this particular house. She would never have been invited to such a meal by Simon the Pharisee. But that did not stop her. When she found out that Jesus was there in the house, she came. And irrespective of what anyone else around her thought of her, she entered the home. And we read in verses 37b to 38 that she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. And these actions reveal her knowledge of her sins, her recognition of her need for forgiveness, and her deep love and thankfulness to Jesus Christ for forgiving her. She was forgiven. And the first thing that we read of her doing was that she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Now, alabaster is a type of soft stone which is mined in the Middle East. It's, it's mined elsewhere in South America. It's a greenish color. But here in the Middle East, in our text, it's a whitish color. And it is often opaque white, so light could shine a little bit through it. And it looks similar to marble, and it can be easily carved. And often women at this time would have a personal flask of very expensive perfume on their person, which could be worth a year's wages, as we read in a separate account in John chapter 12. So important was it that in my research, I discovered that women would even be allowed to wear it on the Sabbath day. Such were the extra commands. But the preciousness of this ointment was such that uh, people like the Pharisees would allow them to wear it on the, on the Sabbath. Well, in order to access such expensive perfume, the flask would have to be broken. And therefore, it was only good for one use. And as a result, the possessor of such a flask of perfume would have to wait for the most appropriate of occasions to use such a precious possession. Well, upon arriving at the Pharisee's home, she stood at the feet of one who loved her and who had forgiven her. She could not hold in her thankfulness and her love for Jesus, and she began to weep. And her tears began to fall onto the feet of Jesus as she stood behind him. Now, you can envision the table and People who would be around the table would have their head facing the table. They would be reclining and their feet would be behind them. And so she stood at Jesus' feet and began to weep. 
And these were tears of repentance over sin and tears of love for what Jesus had done for her. And in a great act of personal humiliation and humility, she then let down her hair and began to wipe his feet. One commentator remarks that among the Jews, it was a shameful thing for a woman to let down her hair in public. And yet she did not care. She wanted Jesus to know how much she loved him. Her love for Christ overcame any shame of fear that she may have felt. She then anointed Jesus' feet with her perfume, breaking the bottle in an act of deep reverence for her Lord. And her weeping over him, humiliating herself before others in order to show Jesus her love and her anointing him with fragrant oil displayed that she knew herself to be a sinner. And she knew that she needed to be forgiven of her sins. And that is exactly what she found in Jesus Christ. She found forgiveness in the one who never turns and despises a broken and a contrite heart. And so we see that Simon the Pharisee knew that this woman to be a sinner And so did the woman herself. But we also see that Jesus knew that she was a sinner. Jesus may have never met this woman before. But Jesus is God. And he knows what is in the hearts of all people as we read in John 2 verse 25. Jesus knew that this woman was a sinner. He said that her sins were very many in verse 47, and in verse 48, acknowledged that she had committed sins. Yet he did not rebuke her, nor did he recoil away from her. Rather, he loved her. And this is why the woman came to Jesus. Jesus and the woman both knew that she needed forgiveness. And in him, she found that very thing. Oh, dear congregation of the Lord, go to Jesus in the recognition that you too need forgiveness. He already knows that you sin, and yet he calls you to come for him. Go to him for mercy and grace. We we earlier sang, just as I am poor, wretched, blind. We sang that together. Do we believe what we sang about ourselves? Jesus is the source of life and forgiveness for all. He will never turn you away, dear one. So we see recognizing the need for forgiveness. Well, next we see failing to see the need for forgiveness. We saw that everyone present knew that this woman was a sinner. And undoubtedly everyone present knew that, even the people that aren't mentioned by name, the crowd But Simon the Pharisee failed to see his own sins and his own need for forgiveness. In verse 39, we read that Simon was quick to call the woman a sinner, but never thought of his own unworthiness. He was quick to judge the woman, but there is no mention of him considering himself unworthy of being with Jesus. In fact, he actually condemned Jesus as well. And we see this again in verse 39 in Simon's thoughts. 
which are recorded for us. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon, in condemning the woman, also condemned Jesus. It is interesting how Simon would have had at least the same amount of access to hearing about the preaching and miracles of Jesus Christ as did this woman. In fact, likely because of his Pharisee connections throughout the land, he had heard many more things about Jesus than did this woman. But his response to the gospel message was the complete opposite of the woman's response. He rejected Jesus Christ as a prophet. How opposite a reaction to the people who attended the funeral in Nain, recorded earlier in Luke 7. In verses 11 to 17, we read that Jesus raised the dead son of a widow during his own funeral. And the reaction of the crowd was the opposite of what Simon had concluded. We read there, then fear came upon all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen up among us and God has visited his people. But here in our text, we have a great irony. Note how Jesus answered the thoughts of Simon in verse 40. Simon didn't speak his thoughts out loud. And yet Jesus answered him. Here Jesus reveals that he is a much greater prophet than Simon could have ever imagined, knowing even the thoughts of his heart. Well, Jesus, in an act of grace and patience with Simon, offers a parable to point out the differences between the woman and the Pharisee. We read in verses 40 to 42, And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And here Jesus describes two debtors. And the first owed wages that would have been the equivalent to one and a half years worth of labor. While the other would have been about one and a half months worth of labor. They both owed very different sums, yet they both owed a lot. And in this parable, we have the woman and Simon. They're both sinners. They both owe a debt. Yet the woman's sins were ten times worse than Simon's, outwardly speaking. Her sins were visible and made her loathed by society. His sins were hidden. Outwardly, he was holy and respected by those around him. And yet he was a man given over to great pride. They were both sinners and ultimately had the same need. They could not repay their debt to God. The woman had recognized her need for forgiveness and came to Jesus, pouring out her love and thankfulness to him. Simon failed to recognize his need for forgiveness and therefore had no respect or love for Jesus at all. During the ministries of George Whitfield and John Wesley in the 1700s, the Countess of Huntingdon, who was an ardent supporter of both men, men who 
God used mightily to bring the gospel to this very nation. In fact, this very state in the 1700s. Great history. This countess invited an English duchess to hear Whitfield preach. And this is the reply that the Countess of Huntingdon received from this duchess. She wrote, It is monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting, and I cannot but wonder what your ladyship would relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. You see, this duchess saw herself as essentially far too good to consider herself a sinner. Like other people, perhaps like you and I, who she referred to, wretches that crawl in the earth. This English noble lady had the same attitude as Simon the Pharisee. No need for forgiveness, not a sinner. I am above others. But this attitude is not limited to people in the upper ranks of society. By nature, we all have a resistance to humility and such an ingrained pride that refuses to recognize our sinful unworthiness and our need for forgiveness. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord, dear ones, like the woman in our text recognizing our need for forgiveness and turning to Christ again and again in repentance and in faith. Well, after Simon admits that the person with the larger forgiven debt would love more, Jesus presses his parable home by making it personal. We read in verses 44 to 47, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You have given me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Simon did not treat Jesus well, even failing in the basic of, of hospitality at that time, which revealed his animosity toward Jesus. We wonder of his motives to have Jesus invited for dinner. And yet his plans perhaps were derailed by this woman. Yet the woman herself, who was an unwelcome attendee, showered loving hospitality on Jesus Christ, doing everything for Jesus that Simon himself should have done. It took great courage for her to enter this home, a place where she knew she would be hated to show her love for Jesus. Simon displayed his lack of love for Jesus, his lack of faith in Jesus, and his complete failure to recognize his own need for forgiveness. Now, perhaps one of the most tragic aspects of this narrative was that Simon was so spiritually blind that despite seeing the woman's acts of love, humility, and thankfulness, he did not recognize a repentant and thankful heart when he saw it. 
You see, he had no personal experiential knowledge of what repentance, any real knowledge of the need for forgiveness looked like. He did not know it for himself. Well, there are many in the church like Simon the Pharisee. There are many who participate in worship Sunday in and Sunday out, but who never really humble themselves before the Lord, who never recognize the depths of their need for forgiveness, and who therefore love little. Our text here, therefore, presents us with a real warning. We, too, must recognize our need for the Lord. And may we be then those who love much, who recognize the magnitude of how much we have been forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we humble ourselves continually before the Lord and delight in and love and be thankful for our Savior Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 5, verses 5 to 7, we read, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Well, Simon the Pharisee did not humble himself, and he failed to recognize his need for forgiveness. Well, finally, we see receiving forgiveness. And we have seen the tragic aspect of this story in Simon, who failed to recognize his need for forgiveness. On the other hand, we saw the woman of the city who was a sinner come to Jesus and express her great thankfulness and love to him. And here we see that this woman had received forgiveness. Jesus said to Simon in verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And here Jesus informs Simon that the woman is forgiven all of her sins. But what is the evidence that Christ had forgiven her? She loved much. And note here, an important note. Jesus is not saying her love is the cause of her forgiveness, as the Roman Catholic Church would have us believe. We remember the parable that Jesus told. The expression of love followed, came after the forgiveness of debt. And here we have a woman who knew she was forgiven before she came to the Pharisee's home. She had heard the gospel and believed. She was no longer living in her former sins. This is why Luke described her as a woman who was a sinner, who used to be a sinner at one time. And that's why she showed such great love for Jesus, despite the mountain of sin that she had piled up in her life. It had been forgiven. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And how do we know that? For she loved much. Well, up to this point in the narrative, Jesus had not spoken to the woman. But Jesus turns to the woman herself and now speaks directly to her. And we read in verses 48 and 50, Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Oh, there's no greater words than that from Jesus. The one who we are at enmity in, in our own natural state. Go in peace. In his great mercy and tenderness, Jesus Christ confirms to her that she had been forgiven. There is no doubt, no uncertainty. She came to him in love and in deep thankfulness, even at a cost to herself. And Jesus turned to her, commended her faith, told her she is forgiven, and encouraged her that she has peace with God. What tender and amazing grace displayed by Jesus. But you see, in saying these things, Jesus did even more. We read in Matthew 10, verse 32, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. This woman publicly confessed Jesus before everyone in that home. And therefore Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, restored and honored her in the eyes of all who were there. He declared, this is my daughter. I am the king. And when she breathed her last breath and her life on earth was ended, we can be perfectly sure that Jesus confessed her before his father in heaven as well. Jesus' forgiveness in this life means eternal life in the next. In God's providence, we are not told what happened to Simon the Pharisee after this narrative. Did he soften his heart? Or did he continue in hardened unbelief? We don't know. But we do know that this narrative ends with the woman's eternal future being secure in Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee's eternal future being in grave uncertainty and danger. Oh dear ones, let us not leave ourselves in uncertainty. By not repenting, by not humbling ourselves before the Lord of glory. The Christian life is a life of constant repentance, of recognizing our need for forgiveness, and of receiving forgiveness because of the goodness of Christ in granting repentance and faith to his children. As forgiven Christians, we too, every one of you dear ones, has a wonderful story of the grace of God in your lives, just like this woman. We too sin. We too deserve the wrath of God being poured out on us for our violations of God's good commandments. And this is why we must never have the same attitude for people as did Simon the Pharisee toward this woman. We are no better than anyone else. We're sinners. But in Christ, we too may find forgiveness. Every one of you in this worship service who repent and believe have a glorious testimony to the amazing love of God for you. And in the end, this portion of Luke really is not ultimately about this woman and her incredible transformation from a great sinner to a saint in Christ. This account is ultimately about Jesus Christ. If you were walking along perhaps a city street and you see a person pointing and looking up, you wouldn't stand there and admire the person because of the interest they're showing. You would look up and find out the source of their interest. And so it is with this account. 
We marvel and, and, and are amazed at the deep love and thankfulness that this woman showed to the Lord. But we must not stop there and admire her actions. Rather, we must look to the person to whom her actions are directed. To the one that changed her life so much. Who redeemed her in such a way that she cannot help but to love him. It just comes out of her. She wanted to be with Jesus. We too must look to Jesus Christ and see his glory and his beauty and his worthiness to receive all of our affection, our devotion, and our love. This woman was willing to overcome fear, ridicule, and scorn, and hatred from the world to show everyone the good things that Jesus Christ had done for her. May we have the same spirit of love and thankfulness to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness that we also have received in him. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, our gracious Father, oh, how we can relate to this woman. We too sin and fall short of your glory. Help us to love you. Help us to love much, knowing that we have forgiven much. But Lord, we also confess that we relate to Simon as well, ones who struggle with pride and refuse to humble ourselves. Oh Lord, defeat sin in our lives, we pray. And may we go forth from this place rejoicing in the new life we have in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.